Geek Top 5, Season 5. I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> this is so exciting. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And it is back to just the top geeks here in the virtual studio today. We've got another set of dueling lists. It's uh, because there are some things that are, we just we just know are going to be a knife fight, and it wouldn't be fair to invite an innocent civilian into the middle of that, right? Right. Yeah. So, ha- what are we doing here today? I mean, we've already seen the title, but just, look, it's, <laughs> the days are getting shorter, you know? Summer, it's still summer, but fall's coming up, and... With you know, with thoughts of fall, obviously all of us turn our thoughts to the new season of The Mandalorian. But they've decided to switch things up this year. We aren't getting a new season of The Mandalorian right away. We're getting the Boba Fett show, and even that I think has been delayed. Oh, really? I just I didn't know that. I mean, that I mean, that ruins my well. intro for one. <laughs> uh, but the but the takeaway for you at home is that look, there is a lot of Star Wars coming down. Boba's getting his own show. There's an Ahsoka show, a Kenobi show. The like this like this stuff coming, and it got us thinking. You know what? There are a lot of characters in Star Wars, and some of them deserve some projects of their own. Yeah, and there's 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 a lot of them. They, whenever you watch a Star Wars movie, the screen is filled with side characters, most of which don't even get names on screen. And there are novels aplenty. Some of them count now, some of them don't. Comic books the same. So we set out some ground rules here to make it a little more uh, easy. So we don't have to go reading through pages and pages of a Wikipedia article to hear about what what uh, one frame on screen character did in 50 issues of a comic book series yes, so we're talking we, about we definitely don't know that and would have to go look <laughs> it up online that's yes for sure well what we may not know is how which parts of it still count and which parts don't am i um, are you still that doesn't work with you <laughs> so moving on <laughs> So the issue is what we're only counting stuff that we see happen in the movies. Uh, if it happened in the movies, it counts. Either anything in the comic books or novels, we're not considering for the purposes of this list. So we get to flesh them out however we want to for the purposes of our spinoff, right? That and we also decided that through you know, as a sign of a you know, mutual non-aggression pact, <laughs> we decided that we were going to veto Wedge Antilles because we would both absolutely have had Wedge Antilles at our number one. Yeah, it gets boring when we have too many uh, things that that are matching. And besides, there's only one Wedge Antilles movie, and that's probably what uh, Patty Jenkins is making for her movie. Pro- right, but what if she isn't? It's so like. <sighs> Look, I mean, again, we're not considering stuff outside the movies, but damn, if you're a Star Wars fan and you haven't read the X-Wing novels, woo, you gotta get on that. Wedge Antilles is, like, is the man. For sure. Such a good guy. And he's, he appears in, uh, in Rebels, right? He appears in Rebels. He has a character there. He shows up for like pretty much seven, maybe seven might be generous, maybe three or four seconds of Rise of Skywalker. Right. Uh, so there's that. I mean, which, to be fair, isn't that much more than his appearance in the the standard movies. But again, that's what we're talking about when we're setting these ground rules. Is that like, you know, we're, we're, there's so many Star Wars characters who only showed up in like you know a rare comic book run from 1982. Like we had to we had to trim it a little. We're going with characters who were on screen in the theater 
and saying we want to take this and flesh it out into a project. So I've got five characters and five, sort of basically five movie pitches. I assume, Graham, you've got the same. And uh, yeah. I, it's and again, the ranking is tricky. I've ended up ranking mine in sort of the order of the movies I would want to see. Like the, yeah, there's some characters, like it's, you know, some characters are better than others, but sometimes I think I have a cool idea. So I've bumped that up my list. Yeah. And I feel like the chances of us having uh, overlapping characters is slim, but just in case, we're going to follow our typical rules where we'll wait until that, if, if the other person has it on their list, we wait until we reach whoever has it higher. I think that's all the, the preliminaries out of the way. Uh, Graham, why don't you start with your number five? My number five is Sebulba. <laughs> we, we were talking about this beforehand, and I thought you were joking. <laughs> well, um, this one, I, I think I, when I said it, I was joking, and then I mulled it over a lot, and I think I came up with kind of a cool movie idea. Uh, just to, so I, I think another important thing that we should do at the beginning here is we will explain who the character is, because some of these are going to be a mite obscure. So Bulba is the pod racing pilot who has a rivalry with Anakin. In fact, he has a rivalry with all the characters. He's he's a Doug, uh, and he is a jerk, and he cheats at the pod racing. And but he's the biggest star, and he's got you know so people who he has money to spare. Um, so that's that's who I'm doing for my first one. Also, a great mustache. Just, sure, yeah, yeah, great voice. Yeah, yeah. And no, he's not on my list, if that's what you're, <laughs> you're looking for. Yeah, that was my question. Yeah, I definitely thought racers? you were joking. <laughs> Do you have any pod racers on your list? I have no pod racing on this list. <laughs> oh, man. Now, Wizard. this is not is... pod racing. <laughs> uh, okay, so my movie opens right from the end of, of his sequence in, uh, in, in Phantom Menace. He's just being embarrassed at the uh, Bunta Eve classic by by Anakin Skywalker. He's His pod is uh, a mess, and he's being beaten by a human child, the only human who does pod racing, and it's it, what uh, a stain on his record. He's He loses his sponsorship. He loses any of his support. He's just tossed out. His, his bad attitude is caught up with him. It only works when you're number one. Once you're number two... Nobody's going to put up with it anymore. So he has to pick himself up and learn how to be a better person and to, to reboot his career. He he shows some goodwill with maybe like Odie Mandrell or uh, one of the other <laughs> named pod racers. Ben Quadraneros. Uh, yeah, Ben Quadranero. That was the other good one that I couldn't <laughs> uh, put my finger on. So they, he works with them. They help him scrap together a, a basic pod. He leaves Tatooine with it and goes on a, the new race circuit. He's now alone, isolated. He, they, he can't afford to be a jerk here. So he has to learn how to make new friends, from, form like a ragtag team to help keep them together, help him get through the, the thing. He learns all these powerful lessons about friendship and about uh, what it takes to win and being a good person and how to win without cheating. And uh, he gets. We get to see all these exciting new worlds and new pod racing uh, tracks. You know, in in uh, Phantom Menace, all we get to see is the Tatooine racetrack, where it's it's all sand and rocks. And I know there were a bunch of video games. Maybe we can be inspired by some of those for some interesting tracks, uh, forests and and oceans, that sort of stuff. And uh, we get to have a real triumph of the spirit. 
someone learning how to be a good person. Maybe it follows a little closely to the plot of Cars with Owen Wilson. And <laughs> But that being said, it's still, I think, going to be a cool movie. Okay. All right. So... All right, so I get like so the character development, the hero's journey. Okay, so he's gonna like it's it's gotten to the point where he's gonna have to learn how to like learn teamwork to become a better person. I'm sold for that. I'm looking for the conflicts in this movie, like the like it's Star Wars, right? So if you're like you got to have some, you need to have space battles or the equivalent of space battles. Uh, I'm guessing that's gonna be pod races in this. Like, is he gonna be climbing the race circuit? Yeah, yeah, there'll be, uh, I'd say, two or three major pod racing scenes. There's going to be characters who are even dirtier and meaner than him, and he has to learn how to win races without cheating because he's not going to have access to the same sort of cheating material that he had before. Maybe there'll be a point in the final race where he has an opportunity to cheat, and he has to, we'll we'll see his character growth and that he doesn't do it, and he he wins by his own uh, skill. I think, uh, you know, I think it's a real crowd pleaser here. This is a like uh, Jamie Tart on Ted Lasso, a, a character who's a jerk, but learns some humility and learns how to be a better person. It uh, It's going to be tough to make that uh, to make that turn, I think. The, I think uh, another thing we're going to have to do is how like in the in Return of the Jedi, the Ewoks just speak whatever their Ewok language is. But for the Ewok movies, they had to learn a little bit of English to get by. So Bulba is barely got any English going for him in, in Phantom Menace. So I think we're going to have to retcon it a little bit just to make him more understandable. Oh, yeah. I, know. I think you do the, the Red October thing, right? Like, you know, you, <laughs> they zoom into the mouth and they switch from Russian to English and then right. just leave it. Like, yeah, he can be speaking in whatever it was, but we'll hear the the English voice actor. That's just not going to go far. Um, interesting question is Sebulba CG, or is he a puppet, or is he a guy in a mask? I think it's going to be one of those, like like uh, Rocket Raccoon or whatever, where you're going to have a guy on set moving around like him of that height. Okay. So and then mocap the on top of him. Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right. I guess that makes sense. It's uh, going to be an awkward mocap of the shape of the, you know, of the Doug species. They've got sort of that hunched over thing oh but then i guess maybe the arms are just like all cg and the mocap is used like mainly for facial expression and stuff yeah i mean if they can do it for a giant tree and for a raccoon in in guardians of the galaxy i think they can manage for this and and Gollum wasn't uh, the most human looking thing and he was hopping all over the place in in lord of the rings yeah no that that we could probably uh, you know dissolve into a knife fight like I do think the the Doug posture is more alien than that, but I mean, I think yeah. the other end of this argument is getting to when they did the mocap on Benedict Cumberbatch for Smaug right for, <laughs> I still don't know why you would do that, but I mean if <laughs> clearly they can do weird creatures so fine now, I guess the question is, uh, do you think? This movie has legs. Do you think it, it lands in the theater, or is it going to die on the vine? Is this direct to DVD, direct to Disney Plus? I, this is this is direct to Disney Plus, one hundred percent. I don't think anyone is terribly interested in the redemption story of Sebulba. What I think you lean into is the pod racing, the like Phantom Menace, like a lot of the well, like a lot of the prequels. You know, that is not a good movie. That's just. I'm trying to find ways to dance around it. It's not very good. But the pod <laughs> no. racing sequence was exciting. It was technically extremely well produced. Like it was it was really thrilling. It's a cool concept. It was executed well. I think what's what this movie is I mean, 
it's about his journey, sure, but I think this movie is about pod racing. Yes, definitely, and and he he'll be the the human element or the you know not so human element, but the he'll have the arc. He's got the story that we're following, and and he's the the emotional core of it. But you're right; it's it's not gonna be a Sebulba movie so much as a cool pod racing movie and an, a, an opportunity for the directors and stunt people to make and special effects people to make very cool, unique uh, racetracks, kind of in the mode of, of the Speed Racer movie that has uh, got quite the cult following these days. Not to mention a lot of very cool pod racing toys and video games. Exactly. Yeah, that's Oh, it. I'm going to cash in on this one. There you go. That, uh, number that... five on my list, but number one in my wallet. <laughs> hey! Oh, that doesn't sound good, but... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so that's a, see, see, you're early in the movie. You have to learn that there's more important things than credits. <laughs> Although credits were no good out there, so what the hell were they winning in the race? That's huh. uh, Oh, man, don't make me watch that movie again. I, I already had to do more research into the prequels and sequels than I uh, expected <laughs> to when I was researching this list. Yeah, that's fair. Anyway, yo, okay, yo, as, as a cool action, like, it's a race car movie, but in space with aliens, like, that sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. What's your number five? Uh, my number five is almost the polar opposite of that. <laughs> um, number five on my list, because I know it will never get made for a variety of reasons, but I wanted to do at least one sequels character. And what I settled on is I want to do an origin story for General Hux from the First Order. The uh, well, General is definitely not on my list. Yeah, I gathered, <laughs> but I I really like him, especially in the first two movies. In the third movie, he becomes a joke, and I I hated it. Well, even in the second movie, he becomes a joke. But in that first movie, he's got there's there's so much there that you can work with. Yeah, the stuff between him and Adam Driver, like the tension, you know, both of them vying for approval and st- like that was really cool. But um, yeah. no, so like what I want to do. It's the way the sequels are set up. I've always been fascinated by this and also fascinated the fact that nobody gets it. The bad guys in the sequels are the First Order and they're the Empire again, but they're all like crappy at it. And it's like, well, you have to you realize like what they're doing. Basically, the Empire were Nazis. Right, they like right down to the black leather and stuff. The first order are neo Nazis, exactly like what we have today. Like a bunch of stupid kids shaving their heads and trying to be cool, basically based on this evil empire. And we get hints of it from talking to to Boyega's character that this kind of thing starts at birth. Right, and. One of the cool things, I mean, one of the cool things in Force Awakens is so much of the the higher ups, like General Hux, are incredibly young, and that kind of gets invalidated by the time you get to Rise of Skywalker when it's when uh, Richard E. Grant shows up as what is it, General Pride, and he's and yeah, it was all man. the yeah, it was all the Dark Empire all along in the First Order. Yeah, yeah. it's. Uh. Yeah, weird choices. No, uh, yeah, if that like that comes through when Hux gives his "We're about to kill the Republic" speech, and like, the way they film it and the way he acts, it's like, yeah, he doesn't like he doesn't have any idea the total gravity of what he's saying. He's just an angry kid yelling. I want to do that origin story. I want to do like I want to do like an evil Ender's game. Mm. 
you know, these, like, think of the setting for this. Like, for the, like, what we know about the First Order is that the Empire is defeated and survivors flee out into the periphery of the galaxy and raise a generation in this cult, worshipping this fallen Empire in a sci-fi setting out in the darkness of space. Like, that is such a grim sci-fi setting. So I want to do the story of Hux. I, 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 I kind of, I mean, I know it will never get made if I say preteen, but like, like Ender's <laughs> Game, you know, well, they're all kids, kids. But so for sake of Disney, let's say, let's bump it up to like early teens. But just what it's like being a kid growing up, like from day one, from before you know how to walk, being just spoon fed this diet of space Nazi and, you know, these kids who are like they talk about the stormtroopers who were raised since birth, just bred to be these vicious murdering swear words. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and they're, like, train them how to hate all the aliens and, and the superiority complex, even though they're, 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 they're nothing. They're nobodies in the middle of, of nowhere right now, and yet they're the chosen ones. They're going to bring order to the galaxy. Right. It's, uh, it would be interesting. Yeah, so the arc of this movie, again, leaning into Ender's Game a little, like, it's a bunch of kids who are really, like, you know, they're kids. They're scared and stuff, but they have to pretend to be you know, as adult and soldiery as they can, and just looking at the psychological breakdown of what that's like. And what we we know how it ends is we see that, like, well, they never really do grow up because they've never had a childhood. They just become these, like, monster parodies of what they want to be, which I found really compelling in Force Awakens. And again, it got dropped by Rise of Skywalker, but... That's a whole other argument. Uh, but I think that could be a really, really cool movie. Now, some of that is in some of the expanded universe material. Like They talk about how he had a rough childhood and stuff, but they sort of skip to when he's a young officer already. And we don't want to take the expanded universe anyway, but that's, I think... Like, I think my movie starts where, like, he's a... Like, before he drinks the Kool-Aid... Like, he's just a scared young kid, and maybe he doesn't even agree with what's going on. He's got an abusive relationship with his father, all that stuff. And I think this movie ends not... I mean, the way Ender's Game ends, it didn't come through so well in the in the movie, but in the book, like, it ends when he finally, he commits genocide, right? Like, they, he's gone, like, they just push him to the point where they think he needs to be, even though he knows he's gone too far. I think it's that, but the other way around. I think he finally gets to the point. I don't know if it's like his first kill or his first, like, you know, wipe out a village order or something, but I think this is the story of a scared little boy who learns to bury his fear. And at the end of the movie, like, the, the character defining moment is he does something terrible and he likes it and he becomes, like, you know, now he's on the road to becoming General Hux. I think it's yeah. a really cool, like, psychological thing to experiment. I think there's a lot of really deep stuff you can do there, and there is no way Disney would ever make it. <laughs> Maybe you have it like a, a religious awakening sort of trajectory, where he starts off where he's he's been raised in this and, and believes it, but as he's going through his training, he sees what it really means and the real consequences of it, and his faith wavers a little bit and then by the end of the movie he does something that commits him so fully to it he's a true believer and he'll do anything to keep going but we know that 
he's still a scared kid on the inside and he's he's it's like he's no he's not ender from ender's game like ender is the consummate leader he's a general he's he's people will die for him nobody's dying for general hux they're dying because he's the general not because of who he is or what he says yeah he's and they're all like that yeah that's the cool like and i want to see that scene in this like where they're all like you know basically putting on their costumes to play pretend nazi and they all know deep down they all know because we can see that in them too right like that's where finn comes from they all know this is wrong they all know this is effed up but they're all going along with it and that kind of group think like that's that's kind of an important thing to analyze these days actually there might be a lot to say reflecting on our you know our current society and the and the problems with those kind of echo chambers yeah and like the idea that they don't have any choice they're doing this because there's nothing else it's this or living on the uh, star wars equivalent of the street there you go so yeah, that's my number five. I don't think there's much else to, to say about it for now. It's purely hypothetical. It would never make any money, assuming they ever filmed it, which they wouldn't. But I think it's a really cool idea to examine. Okay, so my number four is another bit of a weird one. Uh, mine is Lobot. <laughs> uh, I I do mention him, but no, he himself isn't on my, my list. <laughs> okay, so for... Those who aren't in the know, Lobot is Lando Calrissian's right-hand man in, on Cloud City in Empire Strikes Back. He's got he's he's a bald guy in a weird blue and white <laughs> outfit, overalls or whatever, and he his distinct feature is this robotic thing that goes around his head like a crown or whatever. And so he's he's not fully human. He's he's a robot. And in fact, there's one point where Lando types something into his uh, Star Wars esque Apple Watch, and Lobot activates and starts doing stuff. Uh, but when at the end of Empire, Lando leaves, and Lobot is is left behind. We don't really know what happens to Lobot based on on how the movie goes. Even though there he's sort of helping to take back the, the Cloud City from the Imperials and help Lando escape. He gets left behind and, and lost to time, right? Is that that track, Jess? That's as far as I know. Certainly in the movies, we never see him again. So given yeah. our rule set, I think you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and there's, it's hard to say anything about him. It's it's not clear if he's he's mostly robotic. I mean, the fact that he's activated by by Lando's watch makes you think that he's more robot than person, but. It's sort of left up to you to decide, and, and uh, you know, books and comic books flesh that out more, but all of that is somewhat contradictory, so we're we're wiping that slate. For my purposes, he's going to be kind of like Data from Star Trek, where he's he's trying to find out what it means to be human. He's he's more robot than he'd like to be, and he's trying to get back his his soul, as it were. So the movie starts, Lando's left. Lobot it stays behind. He's kind of in charge now. The Imperials, even though it looks like they're the Cloud City people are kind of winning by the end of of Empire, it's the Empire. They can't. They're one one mining station. They're not going to beat the Empire. They the Empire takes over, and Lobot is left to be sort of the middleman between 
he's he's left in charge of Cloud City. He's reporting to the Empire, but he's got to keep things running. In the meantime, he's he's got to learn how to lead. He's got to learn how to be a commander. People, he's having trouble getting respect because robots have a bad hand in the Star Wars universe. Droids and the like are very disrespected, and that's even a plot point in Solo. Uh, so he's got to prove that he can earn their respect, that he is still a person, even though he's he's partly a robot. He's he's got to keep the Imperials in line from from cracking their whip because because the Ugnaughts and the other people on Cloud City aren't going to respond to that as well. They never experienced that with Lando, so he's got to be somewhere in between. Maybe there's an Ugnaught uh, strike, and he's got to be the management. Try to to you know the the Imperials are going to want to kill all the Ugnaughts, the little guys who work in the the lower parts of Cloud City, and he's got to be like, no, don't kill them. I'll negotiate with them. We'll find a way to make this work. Maybe he falls in love with someone. It's going to be a real, like, it'll be a Star Wars version of of Data's path to humanity. That's my plan. Okay, that's, you buried the lead. Like, that's an interesting one to go on. Yeah, so I was thinking, you know, you know those episodes of Star Trek where Data ends up as a captain and either... Uh, the the first officer the first officer he gets always disrespects him whether it's Worf or that random guy on that other ship that he commands for an episode and Data has to earn their respect and and put them in their place and show them that he can be an effective leader that's what Lobo Lobot's gonna have to do in this interesting I mean the more I'm thinking about it the more I'm liking it the specifically making it the Data journey is the piece I was missing. Um, okay. I do feel like you're going to need. I, 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 you have a bunch of right now. We have a bunch of scenes like okay, he learns to be a little more human this way. He is a little more human that way. But you need to have a like a, a finale, like a final challenge for him to you know, to earn his emotion chip or whatever it is. Okay, how about this? He's what the Imperials don't know is that he's also still in touch with Lando. So there will be a few uh, through Lando's watch and through his headpiece or whatever. So there's going to be a few moments where we get a cameo from, uh, from, I guess, Donald Glover at this point, and he's coaching him and, and giving him advice on it. And through that, by the end of the movie, a small group of rebels uh, infiltrate and they're able to liberate Cloud City and he's at the front of it. He's managed to keep the Imperials at bay, maybe do some stuff to make sure they've there's not many of them on the station and the rebels and Lobot are able to to recapture Cloud City and make yeah, it a, a rebel stronghold. That's good. And and you have to introduce a couple of hurdles like that can only be solved by his new emotional awareness, right? Like now that he's learned how to negotiate with a civilian or something something along those lines like something like he has to prove his humanity because the the whole operation's about to be blown like you got to get something like that in there but yeah that's a good set piece for the end i mean cloud nice. city is just such a cool location and they you know say what you will about the special editions but they like if they the initial release <laughs> the original empire cloud city was an unfinished set it looks way cooler these days yeah that's true and with that, the, you know you can actually look out the windows and there's a sunset it's beautiful yeah it's not just blank white on the inside yeah for sure okay no that's cool um, is there a, like a rival or an antagonist? Like, is there an imperial guy? Yeah, I want there to be an imperial guy who he's who's who's the guy who's supposed to be in charge, but he's Lobot has kind of convinced him, or or he's been convinced that he has to go through Lobot at least at first in order to to 
establish himself. Like he doesn't know how how this mining city works. He's not going to be able to figure it out. Lobot's there to transition. Lobot essentially makes himself uh, uh, essential to the to the process. He he's like proves that it won't work without him. And so right, the imperial guy probably doesn't see him as any different than a computer, right? Like it's, yeah, yeah. He figures like that's the like that's the central processor for the thing. He doesn't he doesn't understand that Lobot is a person with feelings. <laughs> Yeah, and and he's constantly underestimating him, and Lobot is slowly sort of tricking him and convincing him to do things and be more lenient than he would otherwise be, because Lobot is using his slowly developing guile and and uh, initiative to 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 manipulate things to his advantage and to Cloud City's advantage. Right. So he's starting just by trying to keep Cloud City running. He wants to keep the profits up, but. To do that, he has to learn to empathize with the people, and he starts to, you know, learn like, like more about what being human is, and he starts to develop emotions, and starts to realize that what's best for the people is more important than what's best for the mine, and then finally is able to lead this successful uprising, uh, you know, from his heart. Oh, man, I'm feeling this like sense of triumph already for for good old Lobot. This is what a hero. This one's pretty good. This one's pretty good, <laughs> and I can see it getting made. Nice. Yeah. Oh, man, can't wait. I'm gonna. That'll be a day one download. <laughs> or stream or whatever these days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's your number four? All right, my number four. Uh, I know, like this is down with my number five, but well, not so much. This could get made. I just don't know if it needs to. Um, I'm going to try to pitch you a big Dark Lighter movie because I can't use the Witch Antilles. Uh, Biggs nice. Dark Lighter is Luke Skywalker's sort of big brother figure, basically. He showed up very briefly in the initial release of Star Wars, and in the special editions, they've added some scenes. I don't think the scenes with him on Tatooine have been restored. I think they're still deleted scenes, but when Luke gets to the Rebel base... He, there's sort of like, a, oh, Luke, oh, Biggs, oh, wow, we both made it. Isn't that crazy? Oh, we're such good old friends. And, and you know, some, some folks who don't, you know, obsessively go over all the expanded universe stuff kind of scratch their head and go, huh? Who's this guy? Well, they also say, man, he's got a great mustache. Wonderful mustache. Boy, just uh... <laughs> But, yeah, the, the character we learn of Biggs is that, like, the way Luke is the, the unexpected hero, Biggs is the guy everyone expected was going to be the hero. And I think what this movie is, is this movie is sort of the, it's sort of the equivalent of Rogue One in that it's like, this is a standalone Star Wars project that's going to, like, it's a, it, it could be a good movie, but it's going to generate interest in the brand and, like, get butts and seats over the Christmas season, right? Like, this isn't part of a big trilogy. This isn't establishing any new canon. This is just a rollicking adventure. Uh, what we know of Biggs is that, like, he's the, the hometown hotshot, right? On, on Tatooine, where they have nothing to do but farm moisture and play in their skyhoppers, he was, like, the best pilot and, like, the leader of the clique of friends and, like, the best guy. And he goes off to the Imperial Academy, trains to be, you know, an Imperial soldier, and then defects with the help of Hobby, another canon uh, character who also got canonized into Rebels, which is great, defects to the Rebellion and becomes an X-Wing pilot. 
Um, and I don't know that there's a lot more to say than that, because those are your set pieces right there, right? Like, you you do a very quick start on Tatooine with him leaving. You have, like, Sebastian Stan or someone playing, like, a younger Luke who's going to miss him. Hell, as we saw in The Mandalorian, you just get Mark Hamill to do it. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the aging down on that worked pretty well. Um, but you, you do the Tatooine thing, and then you have the Imperial Academy, and he's not, like, conflicted about it at all. Like, he knows this is bad. He's just there to get the training. Um, and there's, I'm sure he's bullied by the other, like, hyper-Imperial cadets, but he outflies them all, and, you know, there's tension there, and he's sometimes he just can't keep his mouth shut, and he sort of gets identified as, a, you know, a rabble-rouser, which brings him to the attention of Hobby, who's there undercover from the Rebellion. Mm, okay. I was thinking maybe you flip it a little bit and have him intend on going to the Rebels and then just being so well accepted with the Imperials that it actually becomes a hard choice. Is he still going to defect? Or yeah, see, is that, he... that would be the more interesting version, but I don't think that's what this is. I th- like, okay. Biggs has always been portrayed as like the just the, the good guy. You know, yeah. like if you any Final Fantasy fans in the audience, like this is Zach to, to Cloud. Like he's the he's he's the one that everyone expected to be the hero. And no one expected little Luke Skywalker to be the, the real hero. Exactly. Right. And that's what you sort of need to have for it. Um, now, I, I don't think this movie goes right up to the Death Star and, and his death you know, in the trench. But I think, like, the story of him, like, you know, maintaining his morals and making friends and then, you know, the dramatic defection and all that jazz. Like, like I maybe have it end on uh, some other big battle that they they succeed at and have it end with, like, oh, our next mission is, is something to do with a big space station that they're building and, and leave it on a bit of a foreboding note. Like, you know... In the next two hours uh, after this movie ends, Biggs dies. Yeah, I don't, I don't have the ending, and that's part of it. I just, uh, I just, I like it. It's almost swashbuckly in a way. Like, like I really like thinking about it. My favorite scene right now is when we've been with the Empire for like an hour of film time, and then he finally makes it to the rebellion, and he makes it to the temple, and it's. Like, we go from all the polished black and the mirror gloss finish to all these, like, weird creatures running around in threadbare jumpsuits and with 70s mustaches. And, like, just at him just not being bothered by it at all. Like, yep, this is where I want to be. And, like, the contrast between the two, but him always just being, you know, the good guy. So, yeah, I, I don't have an ending, and I think it's because on a certain level it's not that interesting, but you're going to get some good Rebel stuff, you're going to get some, some Empire stuff, you're going to get some dogfighting and some starships and some space battles, and you're going to tie into the classic trilogy. Like, purely from the selling tickets perspective, I think that sells a Star Wars movie to a holiday season audience. Will we get a uh, Jack Porkins cameo? I mean, we could do so many of those pilots. Like, again, it's like, I don't want to dive into the EU too much, but like, you know, Garvin Dries would have to be in there, the the Red Leader. Right, but I think like Porkins is, if you were to ask a more casual Star Wars fan about a pilot other than Luke or or, uh, uh, Wedge, Porkins has got to be up there. He's so memorable. 
I mean, not for necessarily a great reason. No, not I for mean, good reasons. Yeah. I will grant you that. But but like, I mean, if we're thinking of other pilots, like I want to have more character development for Hobby, right? But yeah. all of his character development happened in the books, so I'm sort of, I'm sort of walking the line. <laughs> it's it's tricky with X-wing pilots in that era because so much of that is fleshed out in the books and the comics, but. Keeping the spotlight on Biggs and presumably like a rival Imperial pilot from the... Oh, that's that could be what it is. The guy who's bullying him at the Imperial Academy. Like when Biggs goes to defect to the Rebellion, become an X-Wing pilot, that guy becomes a TIE fighter pilot. And in the final space battle, they have their like final dogfight. There you go. Like whatever the space battle is, it's just a rebel thing. But the dramatic tension is it's this guy who went to the Academy with became his rival i guess for purposes of to make the film more interesting you make it a woman right like she's this like brutal imperial like upper class hard case and they're taunting each other over the calm and it's how could you betray us oh, you betrayed us da, 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 da. you know the dogfight is a metaphor for their political views crashing and biggs comes out on top because gosh darn it he's just you know the good guy he's just he's the star wars <laughs> steve rogers and he's right yeah he kills that woman real good that's that's the message we're going no, for? no, he's oh, big okay, stuff. No. Like he like <laughs> cripples her Tie Fighter, and then like offers to rescue her. He's like, I can, and of course she's like, like no, don't rescue me. You're an idiot. I hate you because I'm evil and all that kind of stuff. That's how that would go. Uh-huh. But there you go. There's your ending. Okay. That's how that works. We got nice. it. <laughs> so yeah, I I think that's like that's number four on my list. But I think that's okay. All right. Well, let's go to my number three, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a, a, a spoiler on the rest of my list. Uh, Lobot was the only one from the original trilogy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So my number three is Maz Kanata. Oh, jeez. Yeah. You're definitely picking more obscure characters than I did. That's... <laughs> uh, that's fair. That's fair. I think so. I But I... Something about the little we know about them made it more fun for me to flesh them out. Anyway, so... So Maz Kanata is essentially the sequel trilogy's Yoda. She's she's a small person who is very old and is wise beyond her, her appearance and is also kind of funny. Um, she's it's kind of transparent and and a little too on the nose and kind of frustrating and pretty clear that they didn't really know what to do with her for you know, yeah 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 beyond the first movie. But in that first movie, one of the the things that they introduce is that she, at some point, uh. got Luke, Luke Skywalker's lightsaber that's lost in Cloud City. So maybe this will have some crossover with the Lobot movie. I don't know. Uh, this is and in that that movie in Force Awakens, there's a point where someone's like, "How did you get this?" And she's like, "That's a story for another time." This is that time. Maz Kanata, she's like a pirate queen. She runs a, a smuggler castle in Force Awakens, and Force Awakens it gets destroyed. But this is going to be take place years before that. She's still got the castle. It's a safe haven for all the smugglers and pirates in the galaxy. They can come and know that they're not going to be found by the Empire or even the Rebels. They get to do their own thing. She runs the cantina. She makes connections. She puts things together, like teams together, to go off and, and do missions. And she hears about... This legendary lightsaber that's gone missing in Cloud City. There was a a fight, a lightsaber got lost somewhere in Cloud City, and in the chaos of the Empire taking over and Lando leaving, there's an opportunity to go there and and collect the lightsaber. Um, In the prequel movies, lightsabers are a dime a dozen, but by the time we get into 
the the original trilogy, lightsabers seem like a pretty rare and and exciting thing. Nobody really knows what they are, or, or they're always surprised to see them. So mm-hmm. I think at this point, it's a very valuable tool, and she's going to be out there with her ragtag crew that she's put together from the cantina, uh, and and going to rescue it and. Uh, I, at some point through the course of the mission, she realizes how important it is. It's not just something she can sell, and that's why it ends up in her collection. But I, I, I haven't worked out all the nitty-gritty details of what the heist will look like, but I think it will involve an Ugnaught team member and and uh, various other cool things on Cloud City that uh, she's going to take advantage of and and dig around in the, the darker recesses of it that we just sort of glimpse in Empire. Ah, uh, okay, the underbelly of Cloud City, where things aren't so shiny and orange. Yeah, yeah, where where yeah, you can find baskets full of droid parts, including C-3PO. Yeah, they'll be selling death sticks in the corner. And oh, dancers with three God. sets of, yeah. <laughs> eyes. Three sets of eyes. Right. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, it's it's going to be that kind of movie, and, and I think... It's, you know, Star Wars is rich with these weird side characters and weird background characters. And this is going to be another opportunity for a creative person to come up with this team that will follow Maz into to Cloud City to do this heist. Some will be human, some will be weird other creatures, and uh, it'll be a whole new fan favorite. I want to do Rogue One the way it should have been done. Like, I don't think... They, they have a crew that they assemble, but none of them are interesting to me, and none of them really get a chance to shine. I want to have a crew where there's all, like Ocean's Eleven, where they all have a set role, and they all get their opportunity to shine, and they're all memorable in their own way. Yeah, okay. That uh, we, we have some similar thoughts on the kind of movie we want to see. It might show up again later on, on my, on okay. my list. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, okay, she's going yeah, gonna to break into Cloud City and find this lightsaber. Yeah, and I think, I think in my research for this, I found in the actual canon, uh, the, the story for it that ends up getting told was that an Ugnaught finds it, and then yada, 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 somehow Maz Kanata gets it. So even the official explanation for how she gets it is so vague and dry that it barely counts as an explanation. I think this is going to be the definitive story of how the Skywalker lightsaber gets into the sequel trilogy. So yeah, just having the Skywalker lightsaber, like answering that story for another time, like that sells your movie. So right, you're go- right. It's just like getting the, the Death Star plans became the thing for Rogue One. Yeah, yeah, it was. That's fair. And then having Maz in it like is... Is Maz a beloved enough character to headline it? I probably, I think so. I mean, certainly her performance was not any of the problems with the character. Yeah, the problem was she didn't have anything to do outside of the first, uh, the, outside of Force Awakens. In 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 Last Jedi, she's just a floating head, right? And then in Rise of Skywalker, she she's brings just, a medal for Chewie. Yeah, she's just at the rebel base, and she has a couple of lines. Yeah. Okay, I mean, the devil is in the details, like, and it sounds like like you haven't quite picked out this crew yet. Uh, but do we do we at least know like where they're trying to heist the lightsaber? Like, is it in a cool vault? Is it in like somebody's collections? Like, or is it just a case of them trying to be undetected while they navigate the you know, imperial garrison on Cloud City? Yeah, I think there's. It's going to be how do they get into Cloud City? 
how do they get into the lower recesses, the parts of Cloud City that no one should be able to get to to get this lightsaber? And they don't know exactly where it is. They know there was a fight and that Luke came out minus a hand and that the lightsaber is missing. So that's that's all they really know. They could figure out where that fight happened, but then they have to go scrambling through the basements and, and underbellies of Cloud City to find it, and then it'll be getting out. And like so getting in undetected finding it undetected, and getting out undetected. So there's going to be a lot of, of subterfuge. There's going to have to be somebody who makes their way into the upper levels in disguise and, and uh, helps disable sensors or whatever so that they can do their search. That's that's what I'm thinking. Okay. All right. It, uh, I mean, it needs script treatment for sure. We need to figure out. But I think like the adversity is going to come from the characters, right? They're not going to get along or they're going to have character traits that hold them back from completing certain objectives. I think that stuff does fit itself together. Yeah, maybe like, there's like a betrayal and they have to to scramble to undo whatever this betrayal in, in, uh, caused. Yeah. Okay. Needs uh, you know, It needs a little time in the oven, but I can see where you're going with that. Yeah, and again, the answer—it's like if, if you ran the trailer, like you show that scene from *Force Awakens*. This, the, the you know, a, a good question for another time. And then your line: "This is the time." Star right. Wars: A Mas Kanata story. You're done. That's <laughs> like your your movie sold butts and seats. So yeah, uh, I'll give or you that. Maybe one just for make sure. it make it simpler. Star Wars: A Lightsaber Story. <laughs> no, real question is: When they find the lightsaber, does it still have Luke's hand on it? Well, that, that's, that you can bring Luke into canon. <laughs> yeah. Well, Everybody loved that. <laughs> that uh, Just to be clear, that is the weird clone Luke from uh, the Thrawn novels. Yeah, not the best part of those novels. <laughs> yeah, Luke with two U's. That's how you know he's you, a clone. That's how you know he's a clone. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah, what's your number three? My number three... So like I said, I wanted to get something from the sequels. I also wanted to try and get something from the prequels. Now, the prequels have a lot of apologists these days, which I think is the result of a lot of Lucasfilm-originated social engineering. <laughs> but I said there's there's a lot to work with here, you know? And they've done some really great stuff with it and stuff like the Clone Wars and things like this. There's a lot of cool prequel stuff. And I said, okay, I want to try to make a really good Star Wars story set in the prequels. And the vehicle I want to try to use to get to that is I want to do a young Qui-Gon Jinn movie. All right. Uh, that uh, Qui-Gon is not on my list. Yeah. Man, we're just... just we were worried about having too many of the same, but... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Qui-Gon Jinn, Liam Neeson, he was sort of the cool Jedi in Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Like, he was the one who was doing all the heroic stuff, and then at the end he gets killed by Darth Maul. Very sad. Mm-hmm. What we so the interesting things we know about Qui Gon Jinn, we know that he's kind of a rebel. You know, Obi Wan's like, oh, don't defy the council again, master. It's a terrible young Obi Wan. <laughs> and he's all like, I rebel. Yeah, right? Yeah, there you go. That was the line. Um, <laughs> like, Qui Gon will do things not necessarily the Jedi way if he feels it's the right thing to do. So we know that. And we also know from Attack of the Clones that he was apprenticed to Dooku while he was a Jedi. Oh, yeah. Right? So oh, what? Oh, you're bringing Christopher Lee into this? I would love to bring Christopher Lee into this. <laughs> He's dead. No, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, while we're fantasizing. 
<laughs> no, we we need a, a young Liam Neeson impersonator and a Christopher Lee impersonator. Uh, but I think what we can do here is, like, we have a generic Jedi adventure. You know, Master and Apprentice, Master Dooku and Apprentice Qui-Gon, they have to go save the X from Species Y who have a secret plan to Zed. But you have the really, a really cool opportunity to examine, like, how far is too far, right? Like, we, like what we know is that, like, Qui-Gon rebels, but is still a good guy. Dooku eventually goes to the dark side and becomes a Sith Lord. So both of these characters are going to be kind of, like, the Jedi Council will say dance, and they'll dance, but not exactly the same dance, but sometimes Qui-Gon will go too far and Dooku will reel him back in. But then sometimes Dooku will do something really questionable. and be Like, he's still a Jedi at this point, but those seeds are there. And really, the adventure, the XYZ, becomes a vehicle to talk about the light side and the dark side. To talk about selfishness versus selflessness between the house, what Star Wars presents as good versus evil. And in a way, I wonder if that's kind of what what Lucas wanted to do with some of the stuff in the prequels, right? Mm -hmm. And it just didn't quite work because, I mean, it was aged way too far down for Phantom Menace. And then they sort of course corrected way too hard and they went too far the other way in Attack of the Clones. And it just became a bunch of fan service. Like, it's, I, I think it's almost like reading like the, like some of the, like the later Dune novels. Um, I'm thinking like God Emperor of Dune, where really not much happens, but characters have long talks about how, like, what does it mean to be human and stuff. I mean, obviously, we're having that happen over lightsaber fights and starship battles, but the, you know, it's just scene after scene, it'll be Qui-Gon does something a little bit different, or Dooku does something a little bit wrong, and then the what does that mean, how that gets, and then the final thing is you know, Qui-Gon becomes a Jedi Knight and Dooku quits the Jedi. Right. Dooku says, no, I've had enough of the Jedi Council. I'm leaving and going on my own foreshadowed dark path. And now it's Qui-Gon's job to be a full-fledged Jedi. And then what, like, given what he, like, given what has just happened to him, how is he going to balance those two things? I think it's a great way to not go into detail about the Force, because if you go into too much detail, you end up with midichlorians, but to just play with those ideas of good and evil and what do they actually mean and stuff. And that, I think, is a way to make a really cool movie set in that era. And uh, definitely a neat mirror to the uh, Anakin-Obi-Wan relationship. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, just like by the, I mean, again, if we have to count stuff outside, like Revenge, even in Revenge of the Sith, we see like, like Anakin is constantly pushing and Obi-Wan is much too accommodating. <laughs> you know, he's like, he's, he's like that parent that's like, well, I don't want you kids drinking outside, so why don't I just buy you a bunch of <laughs> wine to drink at home? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the parallel there, like between these two, and, and again, I we have to find new people to play those characters. And like, I wish it could have been done by a younger Liam Neeson and Christopher Lee, but I'm sure, you know, Disney can find somebody who can carry that. Like, you know, the equivalent of the Adam Ehrenreich for, for Han Solo. Gotta find somebody, but it's, I don't know. That's, that's all I have. 
again, like I don't have the the step by step of the adventure, but it's because I think the adventure is secondary. I think the meat of the movie is this is what it means to be a good person. These are the sacrifices you make to do things that you think are right, and do the ends justify the means? And those are cool questions to come from those characters. Is it fully going to be from Qui-Gon's perspective, or do you think we'd ever have any scenes that are pure Dooku? I think it has to be from his perspective. Uh, j- just because, like, Dooku wrestling with this kind of stuff isn't interesting, right? Like, we know, like, D- D- Dooku the character wasn't awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the, who he becomes, like, Darth Tyrannus was an incredibly two-dimensional character. Um, I don't think adding 3D to that and then have like, I don't think that works. Like, like It's like a reverse knowledge thing like because we know later on it's so bad it's going to roll back and make a younger him not that interesting so i yeah. think that we like we like having it from Qui-Gon learning to be who he is and examine and trying to examine Dooku's motives and us sitting in the audience go like sort of wondering when the break is going to happen right the same way the first time we saw revenge of the sith we're saying like when's the when's the darth vader start right i think that yeah, I think that's how that works. Okay, my number two is uh, a- another sequel character, and uh, it may not be this guy, but he's got a great name, Tasu Leech. <laughs> <laughs> he and the Kanja Club, they're a group of um, of villains from, or I don't, I guess they're villains, they're a gang from Force Awakens. And they uh, end up on Han Solo's ship and uh, confront another group who are called the Guavian Death Gang. And Han and our heroes from Force Awakens escape by the skin of their teeth by letting loose these Wrath Tars who rampage through the ship and and kill the gang members. I want to do something that I guess will have to take place before that scene. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Before they get eaten. Some of them did survive. I watched the scene again to be sure. Some of them survived. I'm not sure who. Probably not Tasu Leech, but the rest of them. Uh, but it's. I want to do something that's kind of like Sons of Anarchy in the Star Wars universe. So this is going to be super dark. And, and I know we're not playing on stuff that was done in the... Uh, expanded universe here, but it's hard not to take into account who played the characters in Conja Club. It's all the guys from The Raid, and those movies have insane martial arts action. That is going to play a role in this. These are going to be the hardest fighting, ass-kickingest gang members you've ever seen in a Star Wars universe. These are going to be characters who do stuff that you've never seen in a Star Wars movie. People are going to be maimed, Heads are going to be kicked off. Uh, the Guavian Death Gang is going to... All their special red helmets are going to be dented all to hell. It's going to be intense. <laughs> it's it's going to be a lot of uh, mangled bodies by the end of it. So you really are leaning into Star Wars The Raid Redemption. Like, that's yes, where this is yeah. going. The Raid, except it's in space. They're, I guess there aren't lightsabers, but there's guns. But they're not... Or, like, blaster pistols. They're not really going to use has canonized vibroblades. So you got that if you want people right. to fight with swords and stuff. Oh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of violence, and and I want it to be something where you know so many of the the messages of these types of movies these days, these superhero adventure movies, are all about like families where you find it. This is like the most dysfunctional family you've ever seen. They're they're it, 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 
standard cliche about gangs is you get jumped in when you join them. That's where the other gang members beat you up and you're officially part of the team. That is messed up. And that's going to be the sort of stuff you see in this. This is going to be a family that you do not want to spend Thanksgiving with. Dominic Toretto does not approve. No, no. You would be very sad to see this family. Okay, and are they like is the like is there even an overarching goal like or is it just two hours of space violence? Like, are they uh, looking for something or are they like just fighting a rival gang? I think it's going to be fighting a rival gang. It's going to be the uh, a big battle. It, it'll start off mainly with Conja Club and getting to know them. Maybe it's a new person. Maybe it's Tasu Leach first joining the Conja Club and rising through the ranks to be their leader or, or one of their leaders. And there's going to be a big conflict with the Guavian Death Gang. That's my plan. I mean, yeah, especially if you're leaning into, like, the Raid Redemption or, I guess, John Wick, like, those kind of movies, you don't need a well-structured narrative. You just have a bunch of really talented stunt people and let the cameras roll. I mean, that's doing it a disservice. It's probably way more difficult than that to film those (laughs) movies. But, I mean, yeah, we're not getting a lot of, you know, terribly in-depth, like, character growth from those things. Yeah. And imagine, like, a, a scene from The Raid, except it's on a spaceship where the uh, gravity systems have just failed. It's an anti-gravity raid fight. Ooh, I like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, like that's where, like, or with other pitches, you're like, okay, well, what happens to this character? How do they develop? And this one, it's, how are the fight scenes awesome? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like how, how many of these characters are going to survive intact? That's, that'll be the real question. Yeah. I mean, you definitely need to have speeder bikes at some point, right? Like... Sure. Uh, especially like going leaping from anarchy, one. like that's your motorcycle equivalent. And then you can have guys like leaping from bike to bike and stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think how do you update that? Like, can you be leaping from spaceship to spaceship? Maybe not because I can't breathe in space. But like, maybe they're in in atmosphere and you're like you know you're, like, he's he's on top of a Z95 headhunter or something chasing this old beat up Tie Fighter and like you're doing karate on top of the Tie Fighter. Yeah, that would be cool. Or it's like there's a fight happening between two ships as the ships are trying to break atmosphere. They're like trying to stop the other guys from getting in their ships. And and while you're trying to get into your ship and it's a fight going on between them as the atmosphere gets thinner and thinner, oxygen is depleting. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Sold. I will. I will go watch (laughs) that tomorrow. (laughs) Okay. What's your number two? My number two, um, maybe stretching the rules of our of our agreement a little. Uh, my number Luke two, Luke Skywalker. Yeah, <laughs> you won't believe who his dad is. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm looking. At, I'm playing with the Darth Plagueis movie. No, the wise. Yeah, have you ever heard the tragedy? Yeah, no, we all know Darth Plagueis the wise. So <laughs> we get. All we get in the movie is Palpatine narrating to Anakin that this was Darth Plagueis, and it's very clear that this was Palpatine's Sith Master, um, who taught him everything he knew, and then he betrayed and murdered and became Emperor of the Galaxy and all that jazz. I'm looking at the Darth Plagueis movie, and really, that's a vehicle to tell, like, the rise of Palpatine. Well, yet again, so many... He, he just never stops rising. Well, he, that's w- the thing. Once you think he's done rising, he rises from the dead. That's the thing. I'm also hoping to take this as an opportunity to add some meat to that, because somehow Palpatine Returned is still offensive. <laughs> 
So right. the same way you're wrapping up, like, where did, how did he get, how did Maz get Luke's lightsaber? I think this can wrap up with, okay, this is what's actually going on with Palpatine and I am all the Sith and all this jazz and Exegol. Where did that come from? Like, I know they're trying to explain it in the comics right now and it's terrible. And it's like, it's like, it's, it's that's not just me. Like, fans are upset and they're like, this is insane. What are you doing? Because they're trying so hard to make the sequels make sense. I think what we have is a movie that takes place, like, before and then overlapping with Phantom Menace. Okay. Maybe even... No, I can't. I don't think it can go too far into the prequels, but I think it like like this. Like this is the movie that, from the perspective of this weird old alien wizard and his, you know, well, not young, but his new younger human apprentice, that explains all the Sith stuff. Why he is all the Sith? Why they have a secret planet? What what's the deal with all the statues and the strobe lighting, and how Palpatine came to be? So how old do you think he's going to be in this? Well, the... Palpatine. How old is Palpatine in this? Palpatine, I think at the start, he's like like a middle-aged guy. I think at the start... Really? Okay. That's older than I was expecting. I think at the start of this movie, Palpatine is like a crooked politician who maybe hasn't quite learned how to hide his sociopathy yet. Does he have force powers? Probably. But he's like not being discovered by the Jedi or anything. Yeah, it's been like I think like Palpatine has, was like it's all, probably when he was younger. Like the Sith stuff has already started. I don't think there's like a meet and greet in this movie. I think we start like I think a lot of this movie has the equivalent of like a voiceover narration of like and you know and, and it was then when I like, truly began to take the note of my apprentice. Of, like, is, he, is he Sidious then? I don't know. I don't know how it works. It's up to me, I guess. <laughs> but I think it's a lot of through this character's eyes of trying to make the arrangements, you know, setting up like the like starting the stuff that leads to the creating the clone army and grooming his his apprentice to become a politician and this like centuries old plan to bring down the Jedi. I I feel like this is the it's almost like an exposition movie, but you get to tell it from the perspective of like you know this again this ancient evil wizard, and his like brilliant sociopathic like you know evil politician who can also shoot lightning from his fingers secretly apprentice, which gives you a lot of fun like like just be, like it's good to be mean scenes in it. <laughs> And, of course, it ends with Palpatine finally, like, you know, now I'm the Chancellor, I don't need you anymore, and he kills Plagueis and is on the road to becoming Emperor. Wow, so you think the Plagueis... I I always assumed that the Plagueis stuff had happened ages ago, and but the way you're setting it up is, like, when... When Palpatine is telling that story to Anakin, it's like something that happened uh, just a few years ago. Oh yeah, rewatch that scene. Palpatine is the one who kills Plagueis for sure. I I get that. I just assumed right. it was something that happened in the distant past. No, I think that like the I, I think that this plan you know, that's been passed down from Sith to Sith. Is there? I mean, in the in the legends material, I know I think Plagueis is around for a while in the prequels movies, like behind the scenes, oh, okay. perfect expanded universe way where he's just off camera, right? Right. <laughs> now, I I think this is like Palpatine becomes Chancellor at the end of 
Is it the end of episode one or is it during episode two? I think it's an episode, think the it's end of two, episode, yeah. yeah. No, I think it's the end of episode one. I think, like, when Naboo is free, like, they're getting a strong, oh, like, right. he's getting a strong sympathy vote from the Senate because things are bad on Naboo. Yeah, I know, uh, yeah, Terrence Stamp is only in the first one, so, so yeah. that makes sense. So I think that's where this ends, where Palpatine, like, take you know, becomes Chancellor and it's like, this is it, I rule the galaxy now, and I'm on my way to make this work. And Plagueis isn't even that mad about it. Like, of right. course he killed me, because that's that's what it is with the Sith. Like, you know, he's concentrating all his power, and this is what I have created. Me, me, Darth Plagueis. And so we can have them going around, they're hatching schemes, they're killing people, they're, like, we, and we really just learn about the history of all these questions, all these unanswered questions that, you know, Kennedy and J.J. Abrams just weren't able to, to tie up neatly. So, in a way, I almost feel like it's vindictive to say Plagueis, because I don't know how interesting that movie is on its own, but I feel like it's a piece that Star Wars as a franchise just really needs. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm behind you there. All right, should we move on to the number ones? Give me your number one. Uh, I I feel like this may be a tough sell for you, at, at least at, at first blush. It's going to be... Malakili the Rancor Trainer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, no, I wish. This is uh, the Handmade Sabe. The Amidala's, like, decoy? Yeah. Yeah. I want to do a movie that's about those decoys, about the handmaids, the people who hang around with the Queen of Naboo and uh, make her look good, polish droids occasionally... And are also her like bodyguards and and uh, body doubles. I think that's the. I think it's kind of stupid if you think about it. Realistically, it's a lot to put on these little girls. With so's being queen of a planet is a lot to put on on a bunch of of pubescent girls. But that's what we're given in the Star Wars prequels. And with that in mind, I want to explore that because that is so much responsibility to put on people at such a young age. It will give us a chance to explore the queen and her role and what all of that entails because it's apparently it's an elected position. And uh, there's and the potentially even harder job of being one of the handmaids for the queen where you have to be able to pretend to be the queen sometimes take secret messages from her so that you can do what you, she wants you to do while you're filling her role and help keep her alive that's hmm it, it depends on what tone you're going for is this like a the incredible pressures on these young women and do they crack or do they not or is it more like is it a hilarious adventure? You know, like, like yep. one of those like like a like was it that movie Dave where they find the guy to replace the president? Like it, it really depends on what tone you're going for. <laughs> oh man, I hadn't thought about that at all. That would be amazing. But no, I was thinking more of a straightforward political thriller that mm. happens to be on Naboo or and maybe sometimes in uh, uh, at the Galactic Senate. Right, right. No, no doubt. At some point, they'll have to go through the planet core. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Okay. All right. What do they give me? Some more? Like, what are they dealing with? So, 
uh, it's going to be a political thriller. There's going to be a, a bunch of political maneuvering that's happening that she has to manage. We're going to learn about some of the political parties of Naboo and what how you get to be in power. They're, they're, you're going to have the, the queen be a main character in the movie, but a, a, a B character. This is We're going to see all of that happen through the eyes of someone who can speak to it more... Uh, without having to be polite or political about it. It's going to be someone who's like, well, that guy's an idiot. And the queen will be like, well, I can't say that, but how are we going to do this? And it turns to them for advice. And while they're helping her navigate those sorts of political intrigues and how to pass these bills that need to be passed and, and keep the, the people happy, there's also going to be a threat against her life. And so while Sabe is helping massage these political intrigues and talk the queen through what needs to do, what needs to be done, she also has to track these threats on the queen's life and, you know, do amazing stunts to save her and, and go out into the streets of, of the Naboo capital and, and get information on who's trying to kill her. And that I'm sure the two plots will dovetail at the end. The person, the, the political rival has sent this assassin after her and then the, the person will be exposed and their political career will be over. And Queen Amidala will, will have won the day yet again. All thanks to the, the unheralded work of her body double and uh, best political aide, Sabe. So I'm getting... I don't, like initially, I was thinking like creepy girls' school vibe, but I guess it's almost like more of a Mission Impossible vibe. Like you're looking at a like like big threat and trained people like with specific skills to handle it kind of approach. Yeah, or or something like like the West Wing with Black Widow as one of the main characters. Ooh, that's a cool pitch. Nice, oh, I did it, guys. It, uh, it, it... <laughs> It it, uh, it makes those walk and talk scenes a lot more exciting, you know, when it's sort of like grappling hook and talk. Yeah, and you know, in the the in um, Phantom Menace, there's stuff where she does have the security detail, but I'm gonna have those be the guys who are the 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 face of the security. Those are the ones that people know about. The handmaids are the ones that are really doing the dangerous work that that people don't see. Right, right. The thankless heroism that uh... right. Yeah, okay. That's... They're just there to keep the queen looking pretty and help her with her makeup. But really, they're there kicking ass and solving problems and, and being the voices that the queen turns to, her most trusted advisors. Right, so got to knife someone in an alley and then turn the corner and wear a giant dress. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. I kind of like that. Only uh, kind of? It's a, well, I, I, No, I, I do like it, but I'm trying to find... like I feel like the... Unlike the thing where you just have your cool fight scenes or your pod races, like this one is going to live or die on its plot and its ca- like and its characters and what's happening to them. Yeah, I got it. It's been a while it since is. I've watched The West Wing. I'm going to have to mine that for some story ideas. That's, uh, I mean, like, like, well, they kidnapped the president's daughter, and then it kind of went downhill from there, right? And, <laughs> uh, you know, I, uh, well, that's a conversation for another podcast. Yeah. But uh, I guess earlier on, there's like relationships with other nations come up a lot in West Wing. So I guess that you could bring the Gungans in. We know yeah. that pre those those prequels that the Gungans and the Nabooians, I don't know, the humans on Naboo don't they don't get along. So there can be right. some source of conflict there. You know, there's like some casual racism, but then we get to know them, and it turns out they're not so bad. Or speciesism, 
not sure. Yeah, our heroes can't have the speciesism. It's it's coming from from the old guard and the the political system of Naboo, and you know maybe Amidala is trying to get reelected, and so she she can't speak out against that as much as she'd like, or in order because then she's worried that. She'll lose the vote of those people, and and Sabe and the other handmaids are like, "Oh my God, I can't believe you're you're placating those people." And she's got to be like, uh, "This is just what we have to do for politics." I don't believe that. Obviously, you get that whole thing. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool. Okay. Okay. Um. I mean, I'll ask the question everyone at home is wondering: <laughs> Are you going to bring in Jar Jar Binks? No. No. Okay. <laughs> no. I'm sure there's there's Boss Nass definitely and and bring back Brian Blessed if I can as the voice of Boss Nass, but Jar Jar is an important character in the the prequels, but he only becomes an important character in the prequels. Before that, he's he's just like uh, an idiot wandering around the forest. He's he's nobody. Yeah, no, I I'm with that. It's just he's so iconic of Naboo, you know? That's true. That's true. Uh, you know, maybe he He's in the background, you know, they're, they're having a conversation over view screens or whatever, and behind Boss Nass, Jar Jar is, like, smashing through windows and causing okay, a minor yeah, flood. And, There's yeah. your fan service, yeah. <laughs> anyway. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think that's enough uh, handmade talk for, for one episode of this. What is your number one? My number one? I I want to do the Lando movie. Landonis okay. Balthazar Calrissian. <laughs> what a name. Uh, what a name. It is Donald Glover. He's right there. It is Star Wars a Lando story or whatever. It is a heist comedy. He's building a crew. They're robbing the casino from The Last Jedi and trying to patch up his love life at the same time. It is the perfect Lando movie. It is Lando's 11, essentially, which is this is why I was sort of getting a little <laughs> right. like, oh, he took Maddie before. I think this is such a wonderful idea for a movie. You have, I mean, like, building from the plot of Ocean's Eleven, you know, George Clooney gets out of jail and he arranges this insane casino heist and tries to win back Julia Roberts from his, the owner of the casino, who's now his, like, rival in love at the same time. I want to do something really similar. I think we've got a pre-solo, like, Lando He's suave, he's sophisticated, you know, he's a... If Han Solo is a scoundrel with a heart of gold, then Lando is a scoundrel with a really nice cape, (laughs) you know? I want to have Lando, he goes to talk to Paul Bettany, his his gangster character from Solo, because then I get to have Paul Bettany, and that's great. And he tells him, you know, look, cool cat, I'm not going to do the Lando voice, I'm terrible at it, I'm far too white. Um... (laughs) He tells Dryden Voss he's gonna, he wants to borrow some money because he's got like the heist of the century planned. He's going to rob this stupid casino on Canto Bite and its stupid horse kangaroos. There's, a, there's an event there for some reason. I don't know, but they're going to have a ton of credits on hand. He's going to lose the entire thing. It's going to be great. Voss says, okay, I'm in. Here's the money you'll need to get it going. And now we have a cool ticking clock for, you know, you have to make sure you pay off Crimson Dawn because they're the bad guys. Then you build the crew. You know, we can get Phoebe Waller-Bridge back as the droid, as L3. I think having her in that role, like in the Rusty Ryan role from Ocean's Eleven, where it's like, yeah, that's all a great idea, but how are you actually going to do it? You haven't actually stopped to think about this. You're an idiot. That's perfect for her. That fits in. 
the rest of the crew is all like we need a pickpocket and that's so that's got to be a twi'lek yeah, like these, the, sure. these these aliens the ones with the long head tails like they only have two roles in star wars it's like either they're sexy or they're criminals or both uh, until Rebels, anyway, where we get Hero, who's great. But yeah, no, we have like a you know a young, sexy Twilight pickpocket. We've got you know, a couple of mechanics. I think in this in Lando's Eleven version, I think it's hilarious to make those a droid team, like three PO and R two. I think you have a protocol droid and an astromech who are sort of your you know your criminal mechanical underground guys, which I like. You need to have the electronics and hacking guy. That's how he meets Lobot, right? Oh, okay. He finds this guy who used to be on this imperial security thing who's got this cybernetic head thing built in. It's like, well, this guy can hack all the systems and he doesn't even need to use his hands. He's got that. Like, all that stuff comes together. And then we have a great casino heist. Sorry, Rick and Morty fans. Heists are awesome. Like, and you get to do the whole, like, you know, instead of cutting through the vault door, well, the vault's a force field, right? So you need to interrupt, like, the power crystals or whatever. And, like, so like, everything gets turned up to the sci-fi edge of it. Of course, a big part of it is that Lando is going to be, like, the distraction while everything else is happening. So he's at the Sabacc table with a bunch of, like, big shots, you know, and, and he's doing his cool playing cards thing while trying to, you know, and the waiter is secretly one of his guys and he passes him the message or gets handed off. You get all that. That's already, I think, a sell. But the best heist movies, you always have a secondary thing going. And like I said, in Ocean's Eleven, that's George Clooney trying to get Julia Roberts back. And that's kind of romantic in that like 20th century kind of way where the woman is like a medal to be won by the man and which fine it's a product of its time so no i think we're going to update it i think what's happening is that lando you know legendary player actually has one woman that he never got over and she's head of security for the casino can i make a suggestion hit me they have gone out of their way, and this is a, a trend in, in so many things of, of of saying that Lando is, like, pansexual, right? Or, like, he's, he's fluid as far as his uh, interests go. But every time we've seen him, he's just been hitting on women for the most part, right? Are you, am I right so far? I don't... I mean, I think the fluid part has more come from just him being a cool cat. But if you're suggesting we do, like, a same-sex thing, I'm not against it. Yeah, I think that is what I'm I'm saying. It's it's a trend with Disney in particular where they're like, we got a gay character in this. Hooray, here we go. And then it's just like the most minor background thing that you blink and you miss it. Let's dive into this this pansexual Lando stuff that's been floating out there and and have him be interested in in a man. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, he's going to so he's he's never been able to get over this guy and he's head of security for the casino. So Lando's got two things going on. He's going to rob this casino and make all this money, but he's also doing it basically in the way he thinks he wants to impress this guy and be like, look how amazing I am. Don't you want to be back with me? And of course, that's not going to work out. We know Lando doesn't end up in a happily ever after. Um, but that, like, that's the extra tension to it. And of course, as soon as Mr. Security Head sees Lando walk into the casino, he knows something's up. Lando didn't just happen, you know, of all the casinos and all of the horse kangaroo racetracks, Lando had to walk into his? Of course not. Right. So now you've got some extra stuff going on there. For a while, I wanted to have it like, well, maybe 
maybe the security's got his guy's got his own thing going on and maybe it's like tied to the rebellion somehow. But no, I think I think it's better if we just have this incredibly complicated heist with this wild and zany crew and it goes wrong in like six or seven different ways and each time they're barely able to solve it. And in the end, Lando doesn't get the guy. Mm. And in the end, the security guy is like, yeah, that was super impressive. And yeah, these rich people suck. But still, who are you? What are you doing with your life? You're robbing casinos. Oh, Lando, no. And then the takeaway is, and that's where Lando says, you know what? Yeah, maybe I need to be more respectable. Ah, (laughs) nice. Right? And that can sort of lead into... Yeah, and like so, we leave those breadcrumbs for leading it to Cloud City. But the sci-fi Star Wars themed heist comedy with a bunch of crazy aliens and Donald Glover, I just I have been giddy about this idea for like a week. I wish it was real. <laughs> All right, I think that's pretty cool, and I like the the way it ends. I, I think that is the the best part that that'll sell it. It's not a full on happy ending like Ocean's Eleven. There's there's stuff there that leads to character growth in a way that uh, isn't in a lot of heist movies. I'm with you. I think that's really cool. Awesome. All right, I'll uh, I'll email Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Okay, that, uh, so, yeah, we were a little, I mean, there was a little concern that maybe we trip over each other's toes, but no, you just got uh, ten movie pitches for the price of five. <laughs> that uh, Star Wars is making a ton of new stuff, and, uh, you know, they're, again, like I said, Ahsoka, Obi-Wan Kenobi, tons of new stuff coming out, and those are the things that we thought we would just love to see. A lot of those that would just be day one purchases, but hey... Maybe there's some characters like you know, can you not but like are you so upset that we didn't pick those two twins from the Moss Eisley Cantina? How about how about this for a question? Which one of those uh, that we pitched is the one that most intrigues you? You know, we ranked them our way, but maybe young Qui-Gon is a number one for you as opposed to the number three for Jesse. Also a good point. Uh, it's the kind of thing that we, we would love to hear about because we love having these debates with you folks. That's one of the most fun parts about being a geek is the is the back and forth and the in-depth discussion. And uh, we're, it's just a blast to have that with you guys. So please let us know what you think. And in addition, uh, you know, on top of that, if you had any other questions, concerns, or criticisms, etc., those are always welcome as well. Uh, Graham, where can they get that to us? Please email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5, and we're on Twitter at geektop5. Please also feel free to rate and review us on all your podcatching services, and uh, you can also comment on our website, geektop5.com. The rating and reviews especially really help us out, just in terms of... Uh, just in terms of attracting other folks to the show, so please take a look at that. Uh, but... Please reach in, but even if you don't, thank you just for listening. We're doing this all for you, and it's because of you that we get to do it, and we're having a blast, too. While we're giving out thanks, also want to thank Oliver Wickham, the guy behind our theme song. He's got a Spotify page up with some of the stuff he's made himself. He is a brilliant musician. You should totally go check that out. And between that and re-watching a bunch of Star Wars to find all these characters we talked about, uh, plenty of stuff there to keep you busy until we get a chance to do this again. Until then, I'm Jess. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next week.
Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And it is time for another... D- well, I mean, it's not a deep dive. Fuck, I fucked it up. Good start. <laughs> Mulligan. <laughs> oh, well, this better be bonus content. <sighs> yeah, okay. 